0: The next thing that's important to uh, talk about as we move uh, into postmortem examination is um proper identification of the animal uh, this is uh, really important uh, in all cases to make sure that that you have a, a proper uh, ID to go with the um uh, with the report and it's critical in uh, in forensic cases um, in uh, forensic cases in addition. It's uh, really advisable to photograph the uh, the animal as it's received, and also uh, any um, distinguishing marks, features, uh, ear tags, tattoos. Uh, they should uh, be photographed and uh, form part of the record on that necropsy. In conducting a postmortem examination in the uh, field, the environment is uh, the first area that should be examined. And, um, so the, this is, of course, usually, um, the situation with, um, uh, with production animals. And, um, a, a good search around the area, uh, for, uh, plants that might be toxic, uh, for any other sources of toxins, such as, uh, the classic lead batteries or, um, or, uh, other material that has uh, being left out that the animals have access to. Um, the type of uh, farm operation and uh, uh, the location of the animal, how it's lying, uh, these can all be very useful clues and uh, and uh, should be um, noted before actually working on the animal. This is part of the, uh, the consistent approach that's needed. Uh, always look at uh, things in in sequence, because again the temptation is the animal is there, and the temptation is to jump in and open it up and have a look inside. Just take pause uh, a minute or two, have a look at the environment and um and see what uh what there might be uh location of the animal with relation to uh to certain structures such as um such as automatic watering equipment uh farm equipment this can be uh, sometimes quite important a location near a road. Um sometimes these can be tip offs as to as to what might have happened um just uh now a few comments about actually getting to the animal um post mortem examination uh uh should um should start with a uh, physical manipulation and examination of the external surfaces of of the animal one of the um one of the things that that uh we tend to ignore is that the skin is in fact the largest organ in the body and it's all there for examination with, um, uh, without even cutting it. And, uh, and so postmortem exa- examination should begin, uh, with an examination of the skin. And there's a lot of things that you can tell, uh, from the skin and certainly in large animals you can get uh, indication of uh, possible uh, nutritional deficiencies. Uh, in per acute death, the, the classic, uh, uh, lightning strikes, you, you will find, uh, often very faint but very distinct forked, um, uh, lines in the hair coat with, uh, singeing of the ends of the hairs. Uh, presence of ectoparasites, uh, can be important. You can learn a lot about the, um, uh, the, the condition of the animal by looking at the, uh, the feet, the claws and uh paying attention to the coronary band in in ruminant animals, and in fact um, if uh, God forbid you ever come upon foot and mouth disease uh your postmortem examination will probably not proceed any further than the examination of of the skin and uh, so you have to be aware of that in forensic cases um, uh, you can gain a lot of information from looking at the claws, particularly of Small animals, cats in particular, their uh, claws will split and uh, and often uh, you will find if they've been in a fight or if they've been killed by a coyote, you will uh, find uh, typical hairs from the animal they've been fighting uh, caught in the, uh, in the splits in the claws. Also, mucocutaneous junctions, uh, very important to look at. That might be your first tip-off that you have a, an autoimmune disease. And all of this before you've actually opened the uh, the animal.
1: So, Nick, what what should uh, equine or small animal vets or other non coverall averse of coverall averse veterinarians wear for postmortems? Like, are there suits commercially available, or um, or should could they wear a garbage bag with holes with a head and, and armholes cut out of it?
0: You know, um, uh, that's an interesting question because I would say um the best thing would be to get over your coverall aversion <laughs> um even for small animal vets doing a um uh, a postmortem on a large dog um you'll you'll need uh, complete coverage uh the um uh, for example a, a great dane or a, a large german shepherd uh is is almost the same size as a calf and uh you will have the same amount of blood and material uh, to deal with and, uh, particularly if you're going to then go from that post mortem into the examining room and, and, uh, you know, be, be, uh, presentable for your clients. I think that, uh, that probably, uh, uh, coveralls really are the, are the best, uh, for, uh, even for small animals. In fact, um when i do small animal postmortems if i have a very large dog uh sometimes they're too big to do on the on the um examining room tables or the the uh uh, uh dog washing uh, sinks that are available in clinics and and uh, they have to be done on the floor in the back of the clinic and and then you'll need boots as well uh, just to to avoid making a a terrible mess so um I would say uh, if you're if you're going to do a post mortem, make sure you've got what you need and um, the you know good equipment and one pair of coveralls, two pair of coveralls, um, minimal investment. It, it uh, can make you look sharp. You've got your name or your clinic number embroidered on it looks looks good and um uh presents a more professional image than um than uh you know using a garbage bag or 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 something like that so i i would suggest uh um coveralls and and even an apron where where you're dealing with a large animal for for very small animals lab animals and so on. Probably just a lab coat or um, wraparound would would be quite sufficient for that. But um, but otherwise, I I would recommend um, uh, coveralls. There's always going to be hair and blood and everything else floating around.
1: Now, is um, full face protection required for small animals when you're removing the brain?
0: That's uh, that's a very good point. Um, it's probably best to be safe all the time. Uh, Certainly, if you're removing the brain using um, a striker saw or uh, a a bandsaw, as Marie was mentioning, you should have uh, full face protection and um, probably a mask as well. And you should never open a neurologic case with a saw that's going to create an aerosol, such as a striker saw or a a bandsaw that should always be done with a, uh, a meat saw or hacksaw or something that's not going to create as much aerosol still requires uh, face protection. If it's um, if there's no neurologic signs and you don't have any particular reason to suspect uh, a neurologic disease, you you may be able to open it without face protection. But uh, as a general principle, it's it's not a bad idea to have uh, uh, face protection when you're opening uh, brains.
1: Okay, so, and, pr- and practitioners could maybe get that as a, you suggested maybe like a welding or, um, or just like yeah, the hardware store? There, kind there,
0: of out- yeah, there, there are some very good, uh, plexiglass, um, kind of, uh, uh, curved plexiglass, uh, shields that, uh, have a headband and otherwise you can, there, there's no restrictions at all, um, to your vision and they flip up and, uh, they, they're available from, um uh, places that that would supply uh people that are that are doing uh masonry work you know any, anything that requires chipping or or drilling of of rock or that type of material they they uh they're not very expensive and they're very durable and provide very good vision
1: so a final question, I guess, um, maybe for Maria, um, could or should you use a dedicated pack for um, for postmortems, um, or can you, like your dedicated uh, dedicated tools, or could you use a surgical pack um, that's been autoclaved adequately? I think the latter. I'm not sure that the tools that you would use for surgery are necessarily identical, but I find that a uh, scalpel handle, um, a Five-and-a-half-inch sharp blunt scissors and tissue forceps are my basic tool, along with a uh, post-mortem knife, obviously, sharpened. The sharpening is the most critical part of the entire uh, procedure. And then something to remove the ribs. Uh, Again, I think uh, Nick mentioned that just your garden uh, loppers, they work pretty well in virtually uh, every species if they're, again, sharp enough. And so that that forms your your basic kit, along with some disposable scalpel blades. Yeah, I mean, I guess it was sort of in in comment to uh, to Nick's earlier comment in the podcast about it. You know, it's kind of sometimes in the clinic you get kind of the the broken tools or the tools that aren't very good anymore that you get that you put into um, put into your postmortem pool. But I guess if you you know if you if you invested in some inexpensive you know some stainless steel scissors and that sort of thing, it probably would be just as well.
0: You know, an investment in, in something like stainless steel, uh, uh, you know, high-quality surgical scissors. Uh, um, when I was involved with lab animal medicine, um, I bought a, a very high-quality pair of surgical scissors for uh, postmortems, and and used those for. Probably 15 years on literally thousands of uh, small, uh, uh, you know rat and mouse post mortems and never had to have them sharpened. And uh, you know good equipment will last a long time and, and pays itself off many many times over.
1: Now, a note about sharpening knives: Is there do you recommend kind of buying your own knife sharpener, or do you uh, or do you would you take them in somewhere, or what what do you guys think, both of you?
0: Boy, that's that's a, a good question. Um, the the best knife sharpening is when you do it yourself with a stone, um, but that's a skill that that uh, you have to develop and and learn. Um, any any good butcher can teach you how to do that. Um, generally, you know, machines and and things that grind down knives um, automatically or preset uh, don't do nearly as good a job what what you want to have is a a nice tapered blade with a good edge on it and um, and you really can only get that by having somebody who really knows how to sharpen knives do it or uh, or learn to do it yourself um, by hand the um, the other point that i should mention with with sharpening knives is that is that using the steel um you'll you'll see people uh stropping the blade on on the steel um that that in fact is not sharpening some people mistake that for sharpening the blade what you're doing with the steel is you're straightening uh, any irregularities in the blade and that makes it feel much sharper because it cuts more smoothly but but that is not actually sharpening the blade to really sharpen the blade properly and get a good edge on it you you have to uh work with um uh with a proper uh whetstone
1: Okay, great. All right, thanks a lot. So I guess really you could just kind of look up um, a knife sharpener in, in your town and try and find someone good that would do it there.
0: Yeah, I, I, Yes, you could, yeah. There, there are quite a few sharpening services available.